so I've never really believed that dreams can like predict anything only ever really organize what's going on in your head and sort out your problems that you've faced in the day which is why this dream bothered me so much um, I was off work with a bad back and I'd had a dream that I was visiting a school I work in schools generally but um, I had a dream I was visiting a different school looking around to see if I wanted to work there when I woke up I thought it was weird because I'd been told that my job was secure for the next school year but I just brushed it off sort of like an anxiety dream because I was off work and thinking about work it was probably just to do with that and I just tried to not think about it too much but then when I did go back to work the second day back I was handed my notice and told that due to the budget I, my contract wasn't going to be renewed um, so lo and behold I found myself looking for a new job and looking around schools um, to see if I wanted to work at them um, so here's my question. Do you think that my dream was a premonition dream? Or do you think maybe my mind was just subconsciously aware that the budget situation was really bad and it was just preparing me for the inevitable outcome that I'd have to look for another job? It's a good question, Misha. Thank you for calling in. It's, it's one of those things that I think a lot of us wonder. How grounded in reality are our dreams? Now, certainly, I, I believe as humans, we pick up on all sorts of signals in our subconscious that we don't even realize we're picking up on. And sometimes our dreams are the translation device for that. So is it a possibility that some of the things you are experiencing in your workplace may have contributed to the dream that made you feel insecure and you were looking for a new job? Sure, that is certainly a possibility. Could it be a possibility that there's someone else out there, there's something else out there that's wanting to prepare you and wanting to show you that, hey, it's not such a bad thing if you were to lose the job, that there's another path out there. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, if you will. And that was a way of delivering it through the dream. I don't think we're ever going to truly know the answer to your specific situation with that dream. But it certainly begs each each scenario to be uh, to be examined it's an interesting thing dreams it gets even more interesting when you can mix reality with the dreams when paranormal things are going on in your physical surroundings in the waking hours and the dreams seem to play into it the dreams seem to almost predict things that are going on they seem to almost fill in blanks of things that you question and wonder about in those waking hours and sometimes that can be absolutely terrifying makes you go I'm already living this nightmare in the waking hours why do my dreams have to include that as well sometimes that can almost be an escape if your dreams aren't tormenting you and you're living a nightmare on today's episode of the show what happens when it seems the spirit of a deceased father and the actions and organizations he was involved with seem to plague a family years after he has passed. This is an extra long story today that we're going to be covering in the entirety of the episode. A very compelling, a very chilling story. I should note some organizations are mentioned in this story. Those are the opinions of the writer. Our show does not take a position either way on these organizations but they are a key part of their story so of course we did include them but again these are the opinions of the writer 
From Real Ghost Stories Online, I am Tony Bruschi. This is EPP bonus episode number 245. Stay with us. So what do you do when you discover there's a lot of paranormal things going on in your life? Left and right, you don't know why they're going on. They're getting more and more extreme. And then someone gives you an answer as to what may be causing it. And it turns out it may be something to do with a deceased family member and an organization that they may have been involved with. How do you rectify that? How do you, how do you try and, and, and fix this problem? Many people run into this. Sometimes it takes many years to come to the answer of what is causing their problems. And it may be something they have never done themselves. Almost more something that's passed down generation to generation. That's what's alleged in this episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. It's quite a chilling story. It's a long story. So sit back. Get a beverage, relax. This is going to take you on a wild ride of paranormal. Take a listen. I've kept most of my experiences to myself out of fear of being called out as a psycho. Everything here is true. It's taking place over the past six and a half years. I hope it's over now, but only time will tell. Names have been changed. I do apologize for the length. There's just so much to tell here. Someday I may write a book to focus on the Freemason aspects of the story in hopes that I can stop others from falling into this trap. I also hope that I can open the eyes of those who drink alcohol to escape their problems. There are so many of us who do. For now, this is all I can give you. Thanks for sharing my story. I grew up in a funeral parlor. It was a big, old house built in 1919, and I lived there between the ages of 4 and 17. The first thing I remember upon entry into the home was the foyer. The walls were painted black. Even at the age of 4, I knew there was something wrong with that. My playroom was located behind a heavy oak sliding pocket door, which was the former viewing room for family members of the deceased. I knew none of this until the year after my family and I moved out of that house, thankfully. Thinking back, I should have encountered a spirit or two while living in my childhood home, but I never saw one or experienced anything supernatural or paranormal there. So why now? Where did it come from? And how do I get rid of it? These were my questions as I searched for answers to all the odd activity going on in my house. The incidents were both trickster-like and demonic, and I felt like a sitting duck. But this story has nothing to do with the houses I lived in, and everything to do with the person who moved in with me and my two children when I got married for the second time. I met my second husband in 2009 when I was 38. We were both coming out of a fresh divorce. Mine had been easy, but his, not so much. Jeff was left with great sadness, despair, and deep pain. Lied to, cheated on, and forced out of his home, Jeff had nowhere to go. He spent his nights working out at the gym. It was something to pass the time, and it gave him a place to shower and shave. 
From there, he made his way to his new home, his car, where he barricaded himself in and slept off his stress the best he could. When the sun came up, it was back to the gym to dress for work, and this was his routine. One he repeated over and over for months, even in the dead of winter. Eventually, Jeff tried the dating scene after a couple of disappointments with Cat Lady, Black Tooth Mary, and much regrettable of a fling with Office Girl that he met. I was sitting at the end of a sophisticated bar with a cosmopolitan in my hand. He entered the room with a single red rose and made his way towards me. He was well-dressed, attractive, and built the way I like my men, stocky and muscular. We moved to our dinner table after a quick introduction and our conversation started like this. Me. So how many match dates have you been on? Jeff. Two. Then he proceeded to tell me all about Cat Lady and Black Tooth Mary. What about you? How many match dates have you been on? Me, and more than I can count. I'm trying to figure out what my type is. Being the expert on dating, I explained to Jeff that he too should go on a lot of dates to figure out his type as well. And two was definitely not enough. It was a matter-of-fact statement, matching my serious, no-bullshit personality. It was only after looking at Jeff sitting next to me at the table that I noticed all of my dates appeared to look pretty much the same. Dark-haired, blue eyes, business-dressed, and attentive. I guess I had figured out my type after all. But Jeff was not like the others. He had a story to tell, and he told it to me slowly, just little bits at a time, as not to scare me away. He said after a few more dates, the stories of his past really didn't concern me, because I was falling for him hard and fast. One of the first things he told me was that both of his parents were dead. His father committed suicide when he was 17, and Jeff was the one who found his body. His carbon monoxide poisoning. Jeff found him parked in his mom's garage stall with the engine running and apparently everything in his life went downhill after that. Even though it seemed obvious to Jeff that his father took his own life, his mother insisted that he died of a brain aneurysm. This is what the public was told and no autopsy was performed. Apparently his mother was a good friend of the corner in town and Jeff told me that in order for his mom to get money from the life insurance company, suicide could not be listed on his father's death certificate. Jeff told me his grandfather had died of an aneurysm, so maybe it was true. Either way, his father never left a note, nor did he show any signs of depression. Actually, he just sharpened all of his axe blades that day for an upcoming cut. And why was he parked in his mom's stall and not his own? Jeff thought that maybe his mom and dad were secretly having troubles, but he had nothing concrete to prove the theory. A few years later, he mentioned that he thought maybe his mom was having relations with a female. But again, there was no proof to that. Just a couple incidents where he overheard his parents arguing over a new girlfriend she was spending a lot of time with. According to the obituary, his father was awarded full Freemason rights and was buried in the Masonic Cemetery in 1985. I know this to be true because Jeff still has his dad's obituary, along with other memorabilia of his deceased parents in a small wooden box. Jeff had stored this wooden box in the spare bedroom of my house for a few years until I discovered it there. Currently, it's in the detached garage in a plastic bin on a top-level shelf. After the death, his mother remarried three times. Each relationship was damaging. One man was physically abusive to her. Another abused alcohol. And the third was involved in a religion where speaking in tongues was common during church services. Jeff was forced to attend and participate. He also told me that his mother had turned to alcohol to cope and became an alcoholic. At the age of 19, Jeff's girlfriend got pregnant. He decided that the best thing he could do for himself and his future family was to get married 
and joined the military. Over the next 13 years, he and his first wife had three children, and he found success as a Marine. Fast forward to the year 2000. Jeff's mom was battling skin cancer. When she found out, she was given six months to live. Jeff abruptly left his position as a captain in the Marines to be with her during her last days. He told me that his superiors would not release him from duty, so he had to quit, but was honorably discharged. Being the oldest sibling, Jeff was the one who had to make the decision to pull the plug on his mother's respirator. She died when he was 31. Jeff and I dated for almost three years before we were married. During that time, his stories progressed from his childhood to his volatile first marriage. We visited the town where he grew up. While there, he took me to this little shop his parents owned before it went out of business. He also took me to one of the homes he grew up in. He was stunned to see the enormous tree in his former front yard was rotten and dead. We drove by the other two locations where he used to live as a child. One house had suffered severe smoke damage due to a fire, and the other had lost to foreclosure. His father had built all three homes by himself. On our way to the cemetery site to visit his deceased parents, they were in two separate cemeteries, we passed the Masonic Lodge situated right in the center of a small town. I pointed it out to Jeff and asked, Is that the place where your dad was a Freemason? He just hunched his shoulders and replied, Could have been. I really don't know. During the long drive home, he told me about how he witnessed the accidental deaths of two of his dogs and found his neighbor dead on his porch. That wraps up the preview portion of EPP bonus episode number 245. If you want to hear what happens, the full story, this goes on for the rest of the episode and it gets extreme. What she finds out about her husband's father, how it all ties into the extreme activity that continues throughout their house and hear the details of some of the extreme paranormal activity that her and her family suffer through. Become an EPP, extra podcast person. You sign up at ghostpodcast.com or patreon.com slash real ghost stories. You'll get access to this entire episode and all 245 bonus episodes of our program for EPPs only in their entirety and access to advanced episodes as well as we create them. Also give you a free e-copy of our Amazon best-selling book, Real Ghost Stories, Haunting Encounters Told by Real People. Sign up at ghostpodcast.com. Five bucks a month supports the show, keeps it on the air. We appreciate your support. We couldn't do this without you. Until next time, for Real Ghost Stories Online, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening. Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000 students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu. Support for this podcast is provided by LiveRite, publisher of Let Them Eat Tweets. Jacob Hacker and Paul Pearson lay bare the dangerous marriage of plutocratic economic priorities and right-wing populism and how it threatens American democracy. Let Them Eat Tweets, available wherever books are sold. Thank you.
The Samson Barbecue Grill is the official grill of backyard fun for you and your mosquitoes. Whether you're grilling for one or feeding the whole brood of mosquitoes, our durable and portable grills are perfect for patios, backyards, and engorged mosquitoes. Don't let mosquitoes ruin the moment. Orkin, home is where the bugs aren't. Visit orkin.com to learn more.